Hey guys, welcome to Amaze Wade. Glad you're here tonight. My name is Wade, and uh, with Dr. Tim Holly and our good friend Paul is running sound. And um, uh, we're going to start off our, our call together tonight is um, a modern day psalm called Yahweh. It's uh, off a YouTube record a few years back. And um, if you didn't realize it was a modern day psalm, that's really what it is. It's a song of praise that's uh, actually saying, God, I would like you to take whatever I have, these things that I have in me, and I would like you to make them into something that would work for you. And it's also acknowledging that that, per, that process of God remaking us, uh, just like a child being born, that there's struggle in that. And we acknowledge uh, that new, new birth sometimes can be painful, and uh, yet there's also a lot of hope in this song. So sing this modern-day psalm with us, Yahweh. Take these shoes, click clacking down some dead end street. Take these shoes, make them fit. Take this shirt, white trash polyester made in nowhere. Take this shirt, make it clean. Take this soul. Stranded in some skin and bones Take the soul and make it sing And here's our chorus Yahweh Yahweh Always pain before a child is born Yahweh Take these hands, teach them what to carry. Take these hands, don't make a fist. No. Take this mouth, so quick to criticize. Take this mouth, give it a kiss. Yahweh. Yahweh, always pain before a child is born. Yahweh, Yahweh, still I'm waiting for the dawn. I'm still waiting for the dawn. Sun is coming up. Is coming up on the ocean. This love is like a drop in the ocean. This love is like a drop in the ocean. Yahweh, Yahweh, always pain before a child is born. Yahweh. the dark before the dawn 
Take our city City should be shining on a hill Take this city If it be your will No man can own No man can take Take this heart Take this heart Take this heart Make it brave Always great to have Dr. Holly with us. Uh, it's nice to have you here. Well, welcome to Emmaus Way. My name is Dan Rhodes, and I'm one of the ministers here. Um, we at Emmaus Way are a group of people who find ourselves captivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ that is broken into our world. And uh, as God's recreative activity, we as a community are looking to hear from one another, to see in one another, to learn from one another, um, and to share with one another in participating in that work of God to reclaim creation, to uh, redeem brokenness, to redeem uh, the things around us that we see uh, that are f destroyed or falling down as a result of the fact that uh, creation in some sense has walked away from God. And so uh, as a community, one thing that we do is we invite uh, you in as people who are visiting with us to join us for a time of collective gathering and worship to proclaim that God is actually doing that work and then to discover with one another how we can participate more. Um, if you're new with us tonight, um, I would first of all say welcome. Um, we're glad to have you. There are also some sheets out there. By There's a gold bowl out here in the foyer um, that have, if you want to meet with one of the ministers or if you just want to get more information about Emmaus Way, you can check some boxes there. If you just want to throw it into the gold bowl, that's a good way for us to kind of get in contact with you. We also have a number of ways throughout the week that you can get connected, a number of small groups in this community, and it's actually a good time to uh, connect with one of those right now because we have some new ones that have just started and some that have opened up uh, to invite people in a little bit more. The person to connect with, um, if you would like to be interested, you'd like to be interested. If you're interested in getting connected with a small group is Elizabeth Eford. Her email is on the back of your liturgy for tonight. Um, so you can connect with her there. Say, hey, I'm interested in a small group or what are the small groups that are out there? It'd be a great time to get connected. We also kind of have an open, uh, I don't know whether it's a small group or whether it's just uh, an excuse to get together on Thursdays to drink or not, but we have a pub group that meets uh, down off of Main Street uh, at Bull McCabe's. We meet on Thursday evenings at 8.15, um, and we discuss everything from politics to Dave's love life to um, all the things that are going on in our community to uh, philosophy and religion and different things like that. So it's a good time to connect with folks, um, a really laid-back environment um, to where you are invited to come and go as you please. Um, I have a couple announcements for us tonight. One is if you are someone who works with the children, uh, that you volunteer with the children, we're going to have a training. I mean, even if you have been through kind of the initial training a couple years back, we're going to do a retraining and kind of a training for people that have newly come in on the 12th of February, all right, at 4 p.m. 4? Is that right? Yeah, 4 p.m. So that uh, we can familiarize you with safe sanctuary, all the kind of things that go on so that we have... we so that people know kind of how to deal with our children and uh, what processes are in place to do that. So if you're somebody who volunteers with the children, um, please be aware that we are asking you to come on the 12th of February at 4 p.m. 
um, to do that training with us. Um, the other announcement that I have is uh, coming up on the 26th of February, we're planning to do a minister's liturgy. Um, I know that sounds very odd, so let me explain what that means. We live in a culture where uh, we're very familiar with the idea of membership. You might have a Costco membership or I don't know if anybody here has a country club membership, but at least you know what that means. You can envision what that would be. What that would be. <laughs> um, and in that idea of membership, you, you pay some money to, get involved, to, to have access to that, and then services are provided to you. Either you get to purchase what they have on the shelves, or you get to play golf or tennis or whatever at the country club, um, which is fine. And a lot of churches use that terminology for, for the way that people connect with their church. But the problem with it is we just don't think that that's the way that church works. Um, so we here, in inviting you to participate in the community, do what we call a minister's liturgy, which is a rite, R-I-T-E, or a ceremony of commitment, where we as a community commit to one another to say we're going to minister, we're going to serve in this community with one another. Um, the idea behind that is that in coming to this community and in finding yourself located here, we believe that you have specific gifts that are given by God to this community, that this community needs, that in some way if those gifts aren't brought in, we're, we, we're a little bit dysfunctional. And so what we're doing with that commitment or that right is inviting you into the life of the community to serve to use those gifts to serve as a minister in that community. Minister being kind of the small M of we're not going to ask you to like preach necessarily, but the minister being someone who serves, who actively serves in the community and sees herself or himself as someone who does that with uh, the rest of us involved in this community. So that will be coming up on the 26th. If you're interested in that, if you've landed here at Emmaus Way and you see this as kind of the place where you're involved, uh, the community that you belong to, we're going to have a time where we do that right with the whole of community, and you're invited to participate in that. If you're interested in it, um, please see myself or email me or Tim or Amy or Wade, uh, one of us, to get connected. We're going to probably try to do a dinner uh, ahead of time just to kind of say, hey, here's what's going to go on. Here, here are the kind of commitments that we make to one another, recognizing that in those commitments there are times when we failed desperately uh, when we don't keep to them, but the idea is that they're, they're communal commitments, that, you know, when I'm not exactly being loving and kind, that Susan is being loving and kind uh, in some sense to make up for that, but is continually calling me further into uh, those fruits of the Spirit. Um, so that's, that's our minister's liturgy, just a little explanation uh, for you on that. So if you're interested in it, please see me, Wade, Tim, or Amy, or send us an email. Dan, quick comment on that. I think the tentative plan was to go out to dinner just kind of right after church, maybe on the 12th, okay. not next Sunday, but after that, I think Amy had said that. So if you're interested and want to hear more questions, ask questions, or we want it to be more of a, a bit more of a relational process. So uh, we'll just kind of head out after, you know, 645 or something like that, uh, that evening. So. Okay. Um, and so if you're, if you're planning on doing that, please let us know. That way we know how many people we're going to have, and that will help us under, uh, determine where we can go to dinner and different stuff like that. So welcome again. Uh, welcome to Emmaus Way, and we are glad you're here. Thanks, Dan. I think you should tell them that you're the one who said we shouldn't have a raffle. I was all for having a raffle for people who wanted to join the minister's liturgy. Um, free iPad. Free iPad. <laughs> Uh, exactly, exactly. 
Um, as we're moving into our songs of preparation, um, there are a couple things you, uh, that might help as you're looking at these songs. Number one, our songs of preparation are really meant to begin the dialogue, but they're also meant to be songs that um, are oftentimes less participatory in terms of singing, but they're hopefully more thoughtful about what we're going to be talking about. So they're trying to introduce a theme that we're talking about tonight. And as we're continuing in the book of Amos, we're going to continue to talk about this uh, idea where the prophet Amos is telling the Israelites, you know, your religion is false religion. The sacrifices and the different ways that you're practicing your religion are not pleasing to God because you're not caring for people. You're not showing your mercy. You're not um, having justice be what matters to you. And so I think, you know, it can be shocking sometimes to all of us when we realize that there are places where maybe our lip service or our religiosity isn't really lining up with the values of God. And so um, that's in this first song. It's a song that has sort of a, a little bit of a Dave Matthews feel, but it was written before that by a band called the 77s and Mike Rowe. And the, the chorus is a mouthful, the lust, the flesh, the eyes, and the pride of life. And I have to give the guy a hand just for getting that in a, in a pop song. I, I, don't, I don't know. You can't get that in all, all songs. Um, but then also, um, I'll tell you a little bit about more about Fate of My Own Hand, which is a song I wrote when I was about 21, when I was first coming to grips with the fact that my mom had uh, committed suicide due to mental illness, and I was kind of asking myself and sort of in prayer of like, you know, is that same destructiveness in my own hand? So hear these songs, uh, certainly if you'd like to sing along, we'd love to have you do that. But if you just want to listen and begin thinking about the conversation, uh, that's kind of what these songs are for preparation. Well, I feel like I have to feel something good all of the time With months of life I cannot deal But a good feeling I can feel Even though it may not be real If a person, place, or thing can deliver Well, I will quiver with delight But will it last me for all my life? Just one more lonely night the lust, the flesh, the eyes, the pride of life, dream the life right out of me, yeah. Well, I see something, I want it, bam, right now. No questions asked Don't worry how much it cost me now or later I want it Want it big and I want it fast I'll go to any length Sacrifice all that I already have What I might get Just to get something more that I don't need And Lord, please don't ask me what for the lust the flesh, the eyes, and the pride of life Dream the life right out of me Well, I love it when folks look right at me What I'm doing or have done 
They lay it on about how groovy I am And that I'm looking grand And every single word makes me think I'll live forever Never knowing that they probably won't remember what they said Tomorrow, tomorrow I could be dead The lust, the flesh, the eyes and the pride of life Dream the life right out of me Yeah, the lust, the flesh, the eyes and the pride of life Dream the life right out of me Whoa. Yesterday's gone, there's no relief now The day breaks in the morning Yesterday's fears seem to be now Flame, flare of warning I scream at the night, I hold a fist to the day I wonder at the things that have made me Well, I walk up to the mirror and I stare in hollow eyes. There's a skeleton of a man barely left. You know, I've heard it for so long. You know, I've heard that awful song. It's a dirge playing for me. And there's no way to live without the power of your love. There's no way. My own hands My own hands So desperate thoughts Make their way now Through my shambled State of mind Desperate thoughts Seem to be now Just a flame Days gone Before me, you 
No, I've felt your love before It's love I long to feel once more Can you save me from the man inside of me? Well, there's no way to live Without the power of your love There's nowhere to hide You're the light from above But the darkness has a song It sings it loud and strong Can you love or rescue me from the fate? for a moment. Uh, one of the things that I really like about, well, I like and don't like it, it, about our community, and what I mean as I don't like is that sometimes you're asked to do things that you don't always want to comfortably do, and, and, and we're sitting in this book on Amos now that is looking at a colossal failure on a grand scale, and one of the things that I most want to do in life is to not remember my failures. I, I was cleaning out a closet the other day, and I, I, this was about a year ago, and I came across uh, a horribly ended relationship like when I was like 17 or 18 years old and I was just like oh my gosh I had, I had completely blocked how horrific I was as a college freshman and, 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 and it's kind of a part of my story and so Wade and Tim are doing something that, that, that we often do here that I think is significant is forcing us to even in lament confront our failure our there's a couple questions that are coming out of those two songs tonight is what is real what can be held on what is true power is it my own hand or is there something that stands beyond that and as we uh, worship tonight you're going to be asked to kind of step through a movement that raises that question it's one that Amos is going to raise very prominently tonight is what really is true what is real and and in some ways um, we've been saying this in our plan is that in our worship through Amos, one of the most significant things to do is to take the movement through the text from confession to absolution to standing out and walking out in hope. And each week we're kind of asking you to do that movement. And it's one of the things that I think is prominent in kind of that, that song, that, that experience of hope, that, that missionality that means moving in a direction, means that, that that's empowered at times by looking at, at, at darker spaces and more painful spaces. And, and even my kind of reflecting a year ago, what an idiot I was at 18 years old. So uh, I hope you appreciate that tonight. And as we kind of move through the dialogue into confession, we'll be able to kind of make that, that journey. So uh, it's, it's a good one. Well, before we get into Amos tonight, and uh, we also, in the next this week and next week, have a couple of good conversations and stories to hear as well. But even before we do that tonight, I want to give you the opportunity to stand up, greet each other, offer each other the peace of Christ. And uh, in just a moment or two, I'll give us a shout and we will realign ourselves. So please greet each other.
So tonight, Miss Julie DeCanto is going to join us up front. Uh, one of the things, and hoping to hear from Jim Thomas soon, got another story next week, but always wanting to hear stories from our partners and life that's going on. So Julie, you have a story from reality to share with us. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Fire away. Yeah, so um, it's fun to think about just what story to share, because there's a lot happening. Um, but just to kind of clue you into one specific story, um, Jim said it great, you know, so you can have a face to this program. And so one of the programs we do is called Thursdays at the RC. And it's for people, uh, people with disabilities who are out of high school, they're too old for high school, and they don't have a job or they don't have um, a lot of things going on Monday through Friday in the middle of the day. So... There's about 16 kids that, or they're not kids, most of them are adults, um, 16 friends that come here and we do um, yoga right here. Yoga happens and we play basketball, we uh, cook lunch, um, we make really great desserts, we do a lot of things like that, uh, crafts, uh, read books. Uh, and one activity we just started doing three weeks ago, which has been a huge success and we're going to continue, is at the, the very end, the last hour of the day, we actually go to a nursing home that's down the street, and it's amazing. <laughs> we play bingo with these, um, you know, 80 and 90-year-olds <laughs> who um, really embrace our friends, and it's just the most unusual group of people you've ever seen. You know, it's like you would never see these populations interacting on a normal basis, and so... Uh, one of our friends, um, she, uh, uh, Shaquana, she just has this amazing joy about her, and she gets really excited about really little things. And um, so, you know, we were playing bingo, and Miss Betty, this, um, you know, 80-plus old lady who's very bitter and, you know, not the uh, most joyful person I've ever met, <laughs> but she, um, Shaquana was sitting beside her, and Shaquana actually won bingo, and Miss Betty was like, I think that's bingo, but I'm not sure if she actually called B2 or something, you know, <laughs> like was questioning Shaquana's bingo, and, and Shaquana was like, well, I, I'm pretty sure I really did get bingo, and so can I get my prize? Because we have like you know sugar-free cookies as prizes, and so we give we give Shaquana the cookie, and she she said to Miss Betty, "I really want you to have my cookie, Miss Betty, because I'm not sure if I really won, but I think you need this cookie today." <laughs> it was uh, it was the sweetest just interaction of. Um, just the the idea of presence, I think, is the thing. You know, we might not have a lot in common, might not have a lot to talk about, but just the idea of presence and celebration over things that you know might not be worth celebrating, but it's still a worthy thing. Thank you, Julie. What a great story. And, you know, one of the things we do want to do a lot more is just getting informal stories. Uh, I've had a couple people ask recently, and we're excited about that, just things that are happening in lives, partnerships, missional things. These are stuff that we kind of 
sometimes forget to tell each other. And so thank you, Julie, for doing that. And reality is, is a, a really neat partnership. I, I know uh, Keenan and my uh, uh, family is volunteering on Tuesday nights. They've done such a good job communicating and kind of making you feel like there's a sense of things going on. So that's just been a, a really good partnership with the church. And it's something that we'd love to see people uh, really take advantage of. And, and one of our dreams here in kind of coming to this space was to not be kind of in a tenant-landlord relationship with reality, but more of a friendship and a partnership. And Julie and others have done a great job of making that a reality for us as well. So thank you for that. So let me give you the setup. Normally I would wait to give you these questions, but I want you to be thinking a couple about questions later on, is thinking about things that you are doing in your own life to pursue either intimacy with God or pursuing uh, specifically justice or God's kingdom aggressively. We're going to get to that at the end, uh, but the, the text today sets those questions up nicely. But uh, just so you'll know, that's coming come in your direction tonight at the end, and I want to leave some space for us to, to to talk about those things. So today I had an interesting experience. I um, taking this class over at State um, called Spirituality and Higher Education. And so one of the things that's part of the class is engaging other faith traditions and attending worship services. The next step of this is to do like an exchange dialogue where you encounter somebody of a different faith and you kind of talk about why do you follow this faith and I talk about why I follow my own. So it's been really interesting to do that. So today I went to a Mormon church here in town. I, now I, I've been familiar with Mormons my whole life because my, my family was uh, Southern Baptist and uh, and my parents had this group of friends we called the couples that were six friends that have literally, I mean, you know, I hate to say it, they've probably been to Gatlinburg 10,522 times. If Dale was here, we would make a Branson joke, but we'll let it go for now. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, Savannah and places that you kind of go in the southeast. And, but their life, it was really a good model to me in the, their 30s and 40s as they did these couples weekends about every quarter or so. And, and almost everybody in the group was, was truly you know, blue-collar or working, middle-class-ish. You know, it was not like vast resources, but they were really committed to being friends, traveling together. And, and at one point I sat back and I thought, gosh, this group is like Southern Baptists and Mormons. How, I mean, like, they're supposed to be, like, killing each other, aren't they? Uh, and then I realized, you know, they had a common lifestyle that no one in the group drank. They were all teetotalers, and that was kind of part of kind of what held them together. But they were friends, and they've been friends now for... Um, since they were all 17, 18, Air National Guard, I think, for, for many of them. And so this has been a 50-plus year friendship, uh, approaching 60-year friendship for them. So I've been around Mormons my whole life, but I've never been to a worship gathering. Um, so one of the things that was interesting today um, was, I, I would have never known this, but um, in a typical kind of Mormon worship service, there's two speakers the speakers are lay people. They typically tell kind of testimonies. And the, um, uh, and the woman, it was a couple that was doing it at night, and the, 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 the wife of the two uh, kept using this term, um, if this church is true, uh, or the term because this church is true. And, and it fit really perfectly for what I was already thinking about, this whole idea of what does it, what does it mean for God's people to be true, however you might use that word, in terms of their worship, 
in terms of their practice, in terms of their, their sense of, of orientation. What does it mean to be a true representation of God's people? And it's more common for us to talk about where we fail sometimes because we're, uh, we're not perfect people. But what does it mean to be a, a, a true community? So that was, in some ways, very much on my mind. And, you know, at, at Emmaus Way, we have certain things that we do every week, uh, but we wouldn't say... Dialogue makes you a true community. It's something that's significant to us, but there's lots of wonderful uh, faith communities. People are really working God's kingdom who who preach and and do something different. Uh, we we have a vision for artists that's beautiful for us in terms of engaging and patronizing and supporting working artists in our community, but that's not the only way uh, to do that. Uh, And even like Eucharist, where where we might say um, handling the sacraments or embodying what we do in the the Eucharist, now that might be close. Jesus said to do that. That might be close to true. But then you get into another conundrum is Christians for 2,000 years have never agreed on how to do that. And we do it in a certain way. We joke about kind of having our rowdy Eucharist, but there's other ways to do that. So it's a bit of a conundrum as to what makes a community true and, and, and what, what makes, them, makes them right in God's eyes. And, and as you probably guessed, Amos uh, 4 and 5 is going to really push us on that question from a critical perspective. So what I'd love for you to do is grab that front and back text that you have. We're going we're gonna to jump right into this. Um, and I'm going to kind of work us through this a little bit um, to kind of get this. It's a longer text, and we're going to do it a little bit differently in terms of kind of getting you um, uh, oriented to the text. But also note, I've pulled some selections out of this, and these selections are selections that are, are critiques of the people of Israel not being true or faithful in what they should be as God's people. And that's the dramatic theme that runs not just an undercurrent, it's the it's the surface is the froth of, of Amos 4 and Amos 5. So we're going to go through this, but I need, um, it, you know, I don't, is, I, don't see, um, I don't see Dave today. I was going to make Dave do one of these, but I need two readers to do this. So is there two people who would, uh, I was, they're kind of legal stuff. So, your man, you want to do those, and Jim, you want to do the other one? So, um, Jim, you're going to be doing um, the, um, the verdict which is the end of this. And Mary Mann, you're going to be doing the indictment, as I've got it marked here. So we'll get to that. But let's, I want you, let's walk through this text together. Now, as we start into the first kind of section of this, um, I had a fraternity brother who had this. He was like the master. Everybody has a friend like this who's the master of sarcasm. So I want you to hear like the first few verses in his voice. And he was the type of person, he had this kind of little liturgy that he always said that went like this, sure, probably, you know, and like one of my fraternity brothers might, you know, pull up and say, you know, they'd be, you know, silly, stupid, drunk, stinking, you know, shirts untucked, you know, they haven't worked out in about, you know, four or five years. They weren't in perfect condition. Condition. And, you know, they might say, you know, I see this really attractive girl on the other side of the room. I think I'm going to go over there and I'm going to ask her out. And, and he would always say, sure, probably. I think that's a great idea. I mean, I think she'll take one look at you and think, this is the man for me. And so that, he was just the master of like, you know, your plan is probably not a great plan kind of guy. So as, as this begins, uh, listen to his voice because it starts with a taunt. Sure, 
sure, go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. Sure, bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three years. Sure, burn some leaven bread as a thank offering. Yeah, brag about it in front of everybody, how religious you are. Boast about these things, you Israelites, for this is what you love to do, says uh, the sovereign Lord. So it begins with this taunt from God, like, sure, keep doing these things. These are wonderful things that you're doing before the eyes of the Lord. Not, but but it's said in that tone. And then it kind of takes us through a, a series. It, it's some really nice poetry of God trying to get their attention. You know, it's kind of like, I sent some drought. I sent some hunger. I sent some plagues. People have died. I have tried to get your attention. But Basically, the spirit that you're displaying here of, of, of burning these, uh, these offerings and, and, and giving and proclaiming and making yourselves very uh, bold and, and very congratulatory, self-congratulatory, sure, keep doing that stuff. Uh, and then what happens is we get this uh, sense of these powerful hymns that the, the, that the oracle has written here about, okay, you're worshiping the way you want to worship, but who really should you be worshiping? Now, if we could, what I'd like for you to do is let's read those two hymns together. Let's hear those in the voices of the community because these are broad statements that kind of contrast their worship with the God that they're supposed to be worshiping. So if you'll read those two sections with me aloud, let's do that. Therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel, and because I will do this to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God. He who forms the mountains, who creates the wind, and who reveals his thoughts to mortals, who turns dawn to darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord God Almighty is his name. And then we continue. Seek me and live. Seek the Lord and live. He who made Pleiades and Orion, who turns midnight into dawn and darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. He flashes destruction on the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. So we contrast with this sarcastic critique to these intense hymns about the character and the breadth and the size and the might and the power and the goodness of Yahweh. Now we get a very specific indictment toward the worship of the people of Israel. Remember, this is directed very specifically to the people of the North Kingdom. Israel is divided. Israel and Judah, this is to Israel. Miriam, you want to read the indictment for us? There are those who hate the one who approves in court and detest the one who tells the truth. You levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice and the courts. Therefore, the prudent keep quiet at such times, for the times are evil. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. 
hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Thank you. So it's an indictment, a critique. And it goes on to this description of the the. The, the day of the Lord, which is Old Testament code language for the kind of, in some ways, the biggest butt whipping that you could ever have in the name of God. This, this reckoning, this setting right by God. And we won't read this, but the poetry is beautiful. I, I, I retained a phrase there. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear. It will be though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. So there's this reckoning, this day of the Lord that comes as a response to what Miriam Ann just read, the indictment. And then we get this final verdict of the people of Israel. It's it's being repetitively said throughout all of Amos. This isn't the first time we got this. We got this in chapter 2, got it in chapter 3, but but listen to it it as Jim expounds on it a bit. I hate, I despise your religious festival. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your guitars and cellos. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings forty years in the wilderness, house of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your God, which you made for yourself. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is God Almighty. Thanks, Jim. So tell me, what has Israel done wrong? And this conversation about what it means to be true. And here we have this tremendous critique, indictment, and verdict of their failure. What have they done wrong? Abused vulnerable people for their own good. Okay, they've abused vulnerable people. Yes, certainly. Absolutely. I think you're, there's a, Micheline, you're pointing out something really interesting. That there's a disconnect between their actions and their understanding of those actions. Like even in the very first part of this, these free will offerings that should be private and sacrificial. And they're kind of basically getting, it would, it would be like if we pass the plate and we're starting to pass it around, you know. And Jesse says, 100 bucks in the plate, you know. And Lynn says, 200 for me, you know, and, and they kind of stand up and we go, oh, we knew that we loved Lynn more than Jesse. You know, this, it's, it's, it's this type of attitude that there, that's a disconnect with what might have been sacrificial worship. Yeah, absolutely. What else are they getting wrong? It says in verse 12 that they, um, that they didn't read the Bible enough and that they didn't pray the right prayers. Oh, no, wait, sorry, I'm sorry. It says, there are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the court. So it's not tying it to, like, you know, 
believing right doctrine or um, you know doing the right things in worship or anything. He's, he's tying it to very practical day-to-day things that deal with justice and mercy. And that rains out. Wouldn't you say, Mark, even stronger with that kind of hanging in the air and you get to 21? I hate, <laughs> let me clarify, I despise your religious festivals. I cannot stand your assemblies, even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings. I will not accept them. So th- th- that's a pretty strong statement. Yeah, and I think it's, it's right on the money. Why does, why does Yahweh hate uh, Micheline has, has raised this, but why does Yahweh hate their religious festivals? You're going to have to extrapolate a little bit on this, but I think you can get this. What do you think? What are they doing wrong? I think they are um, outwardly demonstrating their religiosity or their piety, but inwardly they're, they're very poor. They are not, their hearts are not right before God. They don't feel God's love for the poor. They're not, um, their heart attitude is wrong. Their actions may be right, but then they take that even further and then they brag about their actions. Look how religious I am. Look how many tithes I've given, and, and, but inside they're corrupt. Yeah, I would suggest, and that's a good point, there's a disconnect in two directions here. There's a disconnect with God's people that... Sarah and Mark are talking about that how can you worship Yahweh but abuse Yahweh's people? What kind of worship is that? And then potentially this whole idea of religious festivals and what what they hate about, what God hates about it is apparently they're worshiping more than Yahweh. That that because if you're really attuned to the goodness and reality of God, then you would have a different concept of what it means to live justly or to take credit for what you're doing. I mean, a, a pious, you know, somebody might have said to Jesse, you know, that 200 bucks, <laughs> that, or Lynn, it was Lynn's 200 bucks, you know, that came from God's blessing. And, and, and somebody else might perk up, you know, Andrew might say, no, it didn't, she earned it, it was all hers. You know, and, and, and to some degree, it's that type of mentality that, that it's, it's not even volume that makes something sacrificial. It's understanding who it belongs to and, and why that's critical. So those are a couple of disconnects. Sure, Jim. I want to add a third thing, that God's people are his representatives. They... They are to reflect him, his nature, his character, and they are being really bad representatives of who God is. So he's going to be pretty upset with them that they they call themselves as representatives, but they're really giving a wrong message, a wrong image. Yeah, I mean, like it would be. Anita did a good job last week at the um, at our ecclesia meeting talking about hospitality to our guests. So what if we like elected Andy and Anita as? totally in charge of hospitality. So we're not going to do any because they're going to handle it. And then we start hearing these stories that, you know, people started going over to their houses and Anita just gives them a chore list. Or, or, or Andy says, you know, you know, wait a minute, you're babysitting our kids. We're going out. We have tickets to this. Or, you know, it actually it's not a bad plan. But, you know, all of a sudden these, these reports come back that everybody that has been to the Brogan's house has been abused by the Brogan's. And, and, and they had stood up in front of us saying, we are here to represent God's love. You know, all of a sudden that term God's love does not sound very good matched to those actions. So I think that there's a fundamental 
failure in hospitality. And we saw this last, um, last year when we looked at Judges, a horrific book. We will not be doing Judges again until like my kids are out of college or something like that. But, but it was a profound failure of lack of hospitality, without a doubt. Sure. Mere man. I'm reminded of old folks saying, uh, you need to remember where you came from. Um, back when I was an undergraduate in early modern times, um, I took a course in, in ancient uh, history, which was history of the Middle East, Middle East there. And one of the things that I do remember vividly from that long ago is that the whether you look at the peoples and the um, up around the Tigers and Euphrates or on Iraq now or peoples down in Egypt or anywhere in that whole area, there was no, none of the groups had the kind of emphasis on caring for the weak and those who could not defend themselves that Israel had. Um, sometimes you hear that things are borrowed in scripture, their echoes of psalms from other places and all, and, and there are, but Hebrew scriptures always change them to fit their situation, just like you have a t-shirt saying he's the real thing, it doesn't mean you're deifying coat, you know, but um, it was that, that sort of use of other things, but that, there was a fundamental distinction and justice um, and beyond justice to have uh, mercy toward those who um, could not defend themselves was a fundamental part of the covenant because it came out of the people's experience of having been slaves and led out of Egypt. That was the remembering who they were, remembering where you came from. Well, I think it's well said. And think about, I mean, many of us have traveled a lot in other countries and, um, Think about that weird feeling that you have when you're in a, you don't know the coins, you don't know how to count them up. You buy something and somebody just kind of, you know, they, they take the money out of your hands and count it out and give you change. And during the whole transaction, you kind of know, you know, I could have just like bought a burger for $5,000. I'm not really sure what just happened here. You're vulnerable in those settings. Now, a lot of us as travelers are privileged, you know, upper middle class type people, we can recover. But imagine that scenario if you're the most fragile, the most poor, the most vulnerable, as somebody said, and you are in an exchange system where you lose on every exchange. Uh, these are the type of things that are happening in Israel, so to speak. Now let's generalize this a little bit. When we as worshipers, when we fail in worship, when we, in some ways, uh, replicate what is happening in Israel, let's think of a couple of exchanges that might happen. Uh, I, I made a little list here. One is that we, we come to a worship environment, and we hope that our lives are, are, are affirmed and, and, and lifted up so that you come. And, and, and Brett came tonight, and the number one message of the worship gathering is, you know, you can't be a whole lot better 
than being Brett. Now, Sarah, I know you agree with that. <laughs> but to some degree, the idea that, that every aspect of one's life of needs congratulation, needs affirmation, does not need challenge in any way, um, that's an exchange sometimes that we, we do in worship. And in some ways, that's happening in Israel. Their, their lifestyles, or their, they're gathering in a worship setting, and people are saying, wow, aren't we amazing people? Aren't we just? Aren't we loved by God? Uh, regardless of that. Um, another thing that's happening here is that they are feeling morally justified. So maybe in the ancient Israel pub group, they're kicking back and somebody's saying, you know, Mark, you know, you're kind of cheating on people and, and, you know, you're charging some extra fees. And I noticed that they're regressive. The, 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 the less that people know our language and the less that they're able to kind of represent themselves, the price actually goes up for people like that. And Mark's response is, yeah, but I'm a worshiper. I'm always in that red chair. I play guitar a whole lot. I lead when Wade's around. I'm a part of this small group. I'm a part. I am a worshiper of God. Uh, that in some ways justifies however I do my business, right? So stay out of my business because I feel fairly justified in that. That's another exchange that we have in worship dynamics where we feel like our lives are utterly justified. We come to worship and we hold up our life to God with the expectation of, do you like me? Check yes or no. That there's really only one box. Yes, the Yahweh has spoken that all that you do is good and justified. That's another exchange that at times we want from worship. Another one is that we come at times to consume. We come, and you know, we use this word liturgy a lot here, that, that a good, just kind of simple one-line definition is it's the work of the people. It's people coming together and offering gifts, offering gifts of confession, hearing gifts of absolution, struggling together with text together, um, having ourselves challenged in many ways. But many of us come to worship uh, sometimes with the idea of, what have you got for me? You know, this I'm kind of busy, and maybe you've got something that merits my time and place. Those are the exchanges that are happening in Israel, and to some degree, they're fairly common in, in all of our worship. So what do we see here? Dan raised this question. I thought it was a really good one in text group, is from this text... What does ethics have to do with faith and religion? How would you put those two things together? You know, one thing we um, did read but didn't exactly say was that, you know, that comment about how their laws, their courts were unfair to people. And I think that's something we don't oftentimes associate with worship because we don't think our church didn't make the laws for Durham or, or America or whatever. And so it's, I think it's easy to think, oh, worship doesn't have that much to do with our legal system. And yet here the prophet is saying, your legal system is abusing people. You can't really be worshiping. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Um, I could almost reverse the question and ask, how the hell did faith and religion and ethics get separated? Mm -hmm. You know? Because it's, it's kind of like we, God created a world and he created people and animals and things to live in that world and live certain ways in relationship together in that world. And yet somehow those things that shouldn't be separated get separated to where 
you're telling one story, but you're living out another story, and and you get that disconnect. And I don't know, but as we're talking here, kind of some of this made me think of as far as like how to live and, and stuff. Like Stanley Harawas has this thing when he talks about pacifism, and, and I know there's not agreement in the church on pacifism versus just war, or whatever. But Stanley's a Duke prof for people yeah. who might not know. And he he says that he says that pacifism isn't a Christian nonviolence, Christian pacifism isn't a strategy to rid the world of war because it may in fact actually make the world more violent. But it's more that as those of us baptized into Christ and who Christ was, we just can't think of any other way to live than that. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's so this lived out ethics is like it's being in Christ and being like him. And so yeah, if you start behaving in ways that are completely out of character with Christ. And yet, you're saying you're Christ or you're clothed in Him. It just reality becomes unintelligible at that point. Yeah, it's it, there's a good kind of history that that could answer maybe the question of how ethics and faith got detached over the last hundred years. But if any one thing Amos teaches us is that we're constantly detaching it, maybe for different reasons over time. And Trigger, it's well put. We were commenting on that on Tuesdays. It's it's an odd question to ask. It's one that you shouldn't have to ask. But I, I grew up in a tradition that said you got right with God. And if you got right with God, then you went and did good things. And there was a fear at times that if, if Chad starts getting crazy about thinking of some good things we should do, that we might need to slow him down a little bit because he might be implying that there's something involved in being a Christian other than having faith in God. And here's a secret. <laughs> there's something else involved with being a Christian other than having faith in God in the sense that faith in God cannot exist it can't it's what's being called here in Amos it isn't true faith unless it is ethically expressed in a total commitment to God's kingdom this is one of the things that i hope we feel somewhat uncomfortable about from time to time is this idea that we've been nurtured in an environment where this might be an either or or one before the other. But as Trigger has said, these are woven together. And and if you start reading the Bible again from that mindset, what is the greatest commandment? Love God with my heart, soul of my being and love God's creation, our neighbor, as if it were myself, these things are always deeply connected together. So to some degree, what does it mean to be true God followers? Um, Because we're never going to agree on certain things. There are certain things that I would say are more essential than others. But in some ways, this love of God and identifying God appropriately and then loving our neighbors as as a, a way to love God and loving God is a way to love our neighbors much more in a reciprocal relationship is what it means to be true. So here's the question I, I kind of threw at you earlier. But it's one I wanted us to think for a couple of minutes about is because to some degree when we gather as a community, I think it's important for us to hear each other's voices, to hear how we're struggling with those things. So I'm going to throw that at you for a couple of minutes. What are you doing? How are you struggling? How are you accomplishing? How are you excited about your love or understanding of who God is? And how are you struggling or being excited about your experience of being a part of God's kingdom work? Uh, Julie gave us a great example of, of just something 
She didn't say, I authored this. She just said, I'm part of an experience that's meaningful. And we heard that story. And we said, you know, there's something about God's kingdom. in what was the, uh, your, your friend's name? Uh, Shaquana and the grumpy 80-year-old uh, in the same space thinking about something redemptively. So I throw that at you. What, what are your experiences? What, what is happening with you now in a way that helps you understand who God is or makes you feel like you're a part of, of th- this ethical reality that cannot be separated from faith? What are your thoughts on that? We're going to end with this tonight, but I wanted to give you space to so that say these things to each other. So, um, Julie got to come today, but I have a new friend, and she's living in the house behind me, but it's like this person's been placed into my life, and she's like a prophet, isn't she? She's amazing. She's on sabbatical from London. She's a pastor. But everything she says is just like so, you know, things that are so common to her so profound to me, and so, I don't know, I just feel like God has just given me this gift, and so we're writing horses together. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and Julie came today. But um, I don't know. I just feel that I don't know why. I don't know why this happened, you know. Yeah. But it's just amazing. Voices of, of, of faith and identity uh, are so critical to us. Uh, others, a chance for another kind of how you're struggling with either justice or. Uh, yeah. Anyone. Um, one thing that's been cool the last couple of years uh, so something we were talking a little bit about tonight and sort of throughout the Old Testament prophets is, is looking at how we welcome foreigners, how we welcome uh, people who are frequently not well welcomed in the land. Um, and it's been really cool. I've been uh, taking Arabic and doing Middle Eastern studies for about four or five years now. Um, and through that, I was able to get connected and, and start a number of uh, like interfaith reconciliation groups, um, Christian Muslim reconciliation groups. Um, and it's been amazing seeing uh, the, the change that's gone on my own life in viewing Muslims um, in America and, and seeing them really wanting to, to figure out how to sort of uh, navigate this uh, an era of a lot of hatred towards them. Um, it was really cool even last week with a, a good friend that helped me start an area at the state um, who just had his second grade teacher arrested um, for, for new charges and, and being able to comfort him and uh, and all that. So it's, it's been interesting. It's still a, a, you know, an area that is really difficult for a lot of people, especially a lot of Christians, to figure out how do we welcome and love our Muslim brothers and sisters. Um, and we're hoping to actually start another group in Durham uh, soon if people are interested. But um, I guess that's been one way that I've really seen God's kingdom expanding in a cool way. You know, it, we, you mentioned a couple of things like learning another language and engaging another culture, we're pretty quick, especially in kind of our multicultural, learned way, maybe not to think of those as spiritual practices, but they're incredibly spiritual practices. I have a friend who is not part of Christendom in any way, and we're in the bank together hanging out, but she's, uh, she's fluent in Spanish. And we saw this, this young woman with like two babies, she couldn't have been older than 21 years old, just struggling in a banking situation. And you could see the branch manager so frustrated that she couldn't speak English. And she was there with her checkbook and something was amiss and she was starting to cry. And my friend just stepped in and started translating and started explaining. And here's this, you know, um, 
clearly kind of educated, uh, 40-something white woman who now steps in and the situation changed dramatically just in that moment. And we might be quick to consider that just a moment rather than a profound act of, of worship, of practice. And so thank you for saying that because I think we downplay some of the things that we do that are deeply kingdom-oriented. There's room for one more or maybe a couple more at the best. Yeah, Jimbo. Um. I don't know if this will hit the mark or not, but um, in my university work, there is a lot of alienation, a lot of people working in isolation of each other, and I've been trying to overcome some of that in my work by creating more opportunities for community, more opportunities for people to have lunch together, to have conversations with each other, and um, it's... It's been a wonderful thing to see that there there has been a growing of community and, and people uh, relaxing with each other, growing trust with each other. There's no Christian label on that, but it's it's done with a, a pastoral intent, if you will, of of um, creating a space where people can uh, not feel alienated and feel connected to. You know, and we work in a culture that orients so much around status and power that when you create safe spaces for people to engage, uh, you guys have heard me do this many times, but I think hospitality is probably one of the most profound acts of the kingdom. And several of these are stories of hospitality. Um, One last story. Yes, Andrew. So um, part of the work I did before I came to uh, Durham was uh, around things like access to knowledge. And what this is about is it's about justice. And it's very arcane if I tell you all the details of intellectual property law, etc. But but these things that seem very remote and technocratic to do with patents and, and copyright actually have everything to do with justice. And and I'm, I've been frustrated during my time here in Durham before then because the other side is so strong. And every time you push them back, every time you get one victory... You know, they, they can pay for 100 politicians. And it's been really hard for me. And, and then, actually, a couple of weeks ago, um, it says in Psalms, you know, as for me, I'd almost slipped because I envied the wicked. And I didn't envy them their, their, their wealth. I envied them their, their influence, their power. And then, and then the psalmist says, but I, when I went into the temple, where? Into worship. I understood, for the Lord places them on slippery ground. And so, and he does, right? And so every, and, every, and every institution that we think is impregnable will fall. When I was, when I was a student at university in my very first year, then it was a very political time in South Africa. People were protesting against the apartheid government. It seemed impregnable. There was no way these guys were going to go down. They had, they had more guns. They had more people. Well, you know, they're gone. <coughs> so, but it's... Really, really important when you fight for justice. It's so easy to envy the, the wicked, their power. Maybe not their wealth. Maybe you don't care about their wealth. Maybe you don't care about the, you know, their status. But the, the ability to get stuff done, it's, it's easy to envy them. And, and we have to remember, and, 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 and the psalmist tells us, reminds us, we, we do that in worship. It's like, well, actually, God's in control. These guys aren't in control. And we do see the wicked go down. You know, we do see people we didn't think be, would be found out or found out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
That's a good word. I thought that during uh, way during fate of my own hand of like, what within me needs to confess? Where is that envy? And Andrew, you raise a conundrum to us is that you're saying that there's potentially something faithful in being a lawyer. You know, yuck, yuck, yuck. And the answer is yes. How many times do we look at our vocational lives and not consider that these are deep expressions of, of God's kingdom, each with different threats, different possibilities, different mundane frustrations, but all of them are embedded with the possibilities of, of the kingdom. And it's a great word for us. One of the things, and I'm, I'm glad we've done this tonight in worship, is we need to hear not only how we're struggling with things, but we need to hear when we win. Maybe we haven't done that enough. When, when um, you know, um, living wages was passed uh, three or four years ago, maybe we should have gathered and just, you know... Uh, had champagne and Eucharist and said there was a win. You know, nothing else needs to be said this evening. So thank you for reminding us that do we believe this text where God says, I have more power than the powers. You know, and that's what the people of Amos have forgotten. And that's why we read that hymn aloud. It's a declaration of Yahweh saying, I have more power than the powers. Have hope. Have faith. Live on my side. And may we be a people who struggle with that all the time and experience the great joy of the moments when we understand that we're part of the movement of God's kingdom. Yeah, thank you, Tim. As we uh, move into our confession and absolution, which we're going to do in song, as we often do, uh, often do I just want to give you guys a, a couple minutes of silence um, this first song that we're going to do is our confession is All I Need is Everything. And I think that's part of why we do confession as a rhythm is to remind ourselves and remind each other that we need God, that we need to be reminded of how much we need him. So take a minute. There's nothing harder than learning how to receive. Calm down. Be still. We've got plenty of time to kill. No handwriting on the wall, just a voice. And it's all, and you're whispering to me. Time to get up off my hands and knees, because if I beg for it, it won't come. I find nothing but table crumbs, because my hands are empty. God, I've been naive. All I need is everything. Slow down, hold still It's not as if it's a matter of will Someone's circling, someone's moving Little lower than the angels And it's got nothing to do with me The wind blows 
We're told on the night that Jesus was handed over to suffering and death, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And that he also poured wine for all of his disciples, saying, drink this when you come together and do it in remembrance of me. Now, he didn't conclude that little service with a now go out and be better do-gooders. The understanding there was that this practice would form them into the good. That their lives would be formed by the practice itself. As we come to the table tonight, in some sense, we're asked to do the opposite of what the people in the book of Amos are doing. You see, the people in the book of Amos somehow see worship as something that's just an additive to the rest of their life. Their real life happens over here. Worship is the additive. Tonight, as we come to the table, we're reminded that in here, the pattern of our lives is given to us, that we are formed in, by grace into the pattern of Christ's life. We're giving and receiving. We're sharing and blessing one another will force us into the tough task of thinking how that begins to take over the whole rest of our vocations, our lives, and everything we do. I invite you now to the table to break bread for one another, to pour wine and juice for one another, sharing the gifts of God's grace with one another, and practicing new lives of recreation. At Amazeway, we celebrate an open table, meaning all of you are invited. We break bread for one another, saying, the body of Christ broken for you, and we pour wine or juice for one another, sharing it with one another, saying, the blood of Christ shed for you. We do that recognizing that the grace of God is present when we do it, and that it gives us the power, then, to live the lives of people who see things very differently. Come now to the table. Amen. Hey guys, if I could call you back to the center, we're going to do a benediction, uh, a blessing tonight that I don't want you to miss. So please grab your lyrics and uh, sing with us here as we finish. So our uh, benediction tonight is uh, functioning very much the way that we uh, would like our songs to do, which is to send you off with uh, God's blessing and care. This song is meant to be kind of a lullaby of blessing, a lullaby with different images of grace. And uh, it's a simple song to sing, so we'd love to have you sing with us. The chorus goes, Take my hand Lay me down I don't have strength to stand Anymore 
so sing with me. Love me like a river that is rain-soaked and swollen, carries off the good and bad the same. Love me like an ocean that is wind-swept in motion, pounding with the pulse of eternity. Here's the chorus. Take my hand. Lay me down when I don't have strength to stand anymore. Love me like a nightingale who sings the song that never fails. Sings in darkness, yearning for the dawn. Love me like a gentle breeze that moves its way inside of me, cools the fires burning in my breast. Take my hand, lay me down when I don't have strength to stand anymore. Like the ocean, like a nightingale. It's all a tree whose branches fly away from me. Keep me looking upwards for the light. Love me like a long stem rose whose thorn tree pellets bitter foes for soft and fragrant blossoms to arise. Take my hand, lay me down when I don't have strength to stand. Take my hand, take my hand. Lay me down. I don't have strength to stand anymore. You guys go in God's peace. Have a good week. Thanks for being with us.